Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Right? 
But it is giving you a background of what's going on. And as you work your way through, you look at Acts, here's the history book of the, of the New Testament. But look there, you have the four Gospels, which uh, gives, you, gives you kind of some of the dates. It's like when John the Baptist is beheaded, 26, 27 uh, AD. If you write down there the dates for writing the four Gospels, it gives you dates four. And again, these dates are, are uh, you know, they, they vary some between scholars and commentators. So you don't just look down at these, well, that's absolutely when it's written. But here's the consensus of when these books were written. The book of Acts, the history book, that when all these churches were planted, there you see where James, the book of James, the book of Romans, Hebrews, Galatians, the book of Romans, the Corinthians, the prison officials, the Jesus, the Philippians, 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 the First Timothy Titus, you see the second Timothy fits in, first and second Peter. The destruction of the temple there in 70 AD. He said the book of Jude was here last year. Here it's also in the book in 75 AD. Then first and second, third John, the book of Revelation, of course, uh, 89 AD. So you kind of get the idea of when these books were written and where they fit in chronologically. And by the way, again, Paul wrote over half the New Testament. So these epistles that he wrote, written back to the churches, mostly, mostly to the churches in Plankton. Now, Colossians is an exception. He is writing to the church of Colossians, but he didn't plant the church. But one of his disciples, one of his followers, and we'll cover that in a moment. So those are Colossians. Look on the back of that page. Look on the back of that note. Colossians is most important to them. Look at the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament, the chronological order is Genesis chapter 1 through 36. And the book of Job happens somewhere there as, you know, in the last, from chapter 12 to chapter 15 of the book of Genesis. That's where Job is sitting in chronologically in the Bible. In the book of Exodus, the Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Who wrote, who wrote most of the Psalms? David. Where do you find David? I'm David. In the book of Samuel, 15. 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, then you have some of the Psalms written in. Song of Solomon, probably because of the act that he wrote those books, that's Solomon. So that's when they were speaking in chronological in the Old Testament. 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and then here's the Yosafat, a lot of Yosafat. Hezekiah, Joel, Jonah, Enoch, Micah, Hosea, Isaiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and that's where they were sitting in. They were sitting in. And these are 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. By the way, this is from 1 Kings and 2 Kings, they're written in view of the Kings, whereas the Chronicles are written in view of the and then you have Jeremiah and Levitation. What does Jeremiah lament about? He laments about the destruction of well, the destruction of the of, the, of Jerusalem. And he lives through that. And he's persecuted in all sorts of things. Ezekiel and Daniel prophesying to whom? To, to the captivity, to those in captivity. And then you have Haggai and Zechariah, Ezra and Esther prophesying to the captivity that returned, those who returned from captivity. And Haggai bringing back a couple of thousand uh, and so forth, the rubble will bring them back. As the rubble will bring them back a couple of thousand, whatever it was, and then Nehemiah. So Nehemiah and Malachi, Malachi being the last one. Let's just find last supporters. In the New Testament, you have John, Matthew, Mark, John, Matthew, Luke, and Mark. And then the book of Acts is the history book of those epistles where the arrows are. Titus, 13, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17, 17
the writer, of course, is the Apostle Paul. If you want to write that in there. The date of the writing is uh, 60 to 62 A.D. 60 to 62 A.D. The, Old Te- the Colossians is quoted from or alludes to the Old Testament seven times. Seven times again. I always like to remind you that the New Testament writers wrote in light of the two already know your wrote in light of the two already know your In other words, to really understand the New Testament, you need to read the Old Testament. Because it's not. And then uh, number four, and this is very good, Paul in this letter to a small church meeting in a house is exposing Peter intellectualism and reaffirming the preeminence of Christ and selling it all over his back. And so he is addressing this pseudo-intellectualism that came into the church there. It's not just the church there in Colossae, but the church is even in that area. It seems as though he's also writing to the church of Laodicea because he mentions them in chapter 2, verse 1, and also in chapter 4. And so he is telling the church there Colossae to make sure the church of Laodicea reads this letter. And then the surrounding church. By the way, all the epistles of Paul wrote were passed around to the church. They were passed around to the church. So all the churches were reading. And they certainly had a application to all the churches of Again, uh, Colossians, written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome. You find this in Acts chapter 28, verses 16 through 31. It was written to the churches in, in church in Colossae and others. In fact, just pointed out. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Notice you mentioned Laodicea. Now look at chapter 4, and look at verse 16. Verse 16. It says, And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of Laodicea, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So he says, Make sure that the Laodicea church reads this epistle as well. Think about the city of Colossae, the city in Rome, of course, or Roman province in Greece. It is what, we, what today is modern day Turkey. At one point, uh, this was once a, a major city, and uh, about 100 miles east of Ephesus, which doesn't mean anything to most But it was one of the major cities at one time. It was directly in the trade route route from east of Ephesus into north of south. And it was a growing city. But then they changed that route to another city, and at the time of the writing, when Paul is writing the, the Church of Colossae, Colossae, the city, is declining. The church of uh, uh, Colossae uh, was again not planted directly by Paul, but by one of his, uh, one of his disciples. And, uh, but again, primarily this church and the city was made up of Gentiles. It had a large Jewish population as well, but the city was made up of Gentiles. The church was founded by Epaphras, a disciple of Paul. And you read that about that in Acts chapter 19. It was founded by Epaphras. The church had been captivated. The church had been captivated by the eternal aspects of the Christian life. The eternal aspects of the Christian life. And a great testimony, they had been a great testimony, and Paul was concerned that they, they stayed that way. In other words, some false teachers have crept in, and the church there in Colossae had been captivated by the eternal reality, the eternality of salvation, and what that beheld. They were captivated by the person of Christ, but that began to change. Paul is just coming back and reaffirming to them the importance of Christ. That's what we did last week. Focusing on Christ for the good news. Reaffirming the importance and the preeminence of Christ. 
Paul warns of the admixture of Gnosticism and Judaism. We covered this a little bit last week. The church needed to be on guard against these false teachings. The false teachings. What false teachings? The false teachings that was connected to philosophy. Sometimes when we think about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, most of us who are not very educated do not know where to plug them in in history. But understand, they, they, were, they were in that time period before the New Testament, 470 to 322 B.C. So 470 to 322 B.C., you have these, what are considered the greatest minds in Greek history today. And these individuals, these philosophers, philosophers Aristotle and these, they really shaped the thinking of, of the Greeks and the Grecian Empire, the Grecian culture, and really had influence on Grecian culture throughout the rest of, before Christ, the rest of that era, all the way into the era in which we are today, literally, had influence that long. And so there was a, 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 just a, a warning by Paul against this philosophy that was founded in Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and others, of course, but understanding that uh, that these philosophies, these philosophies by these men and others, were foundations of how Greek society functioned. And what was that? What was the philosophy? What does it mean? It means a love of or the search for wisdom and knowledge. The love of or the search of, don't leave me now, stay with me. Going to the love of and the search for wisdom and knowledge. It's a viewpoint. It's a viewpoint of life based upon human reasoning without regard to God or the Bible. It's humanism. It's humanism. Based upon human reason. Not, not Bible reason. Not trenched or founded or you know, related to what God would have to say, but what does man have to say? What, is, what, are, where, what are men, who are men's best people? And let's bring them in. Let's get what they think. And that's going to become, and that became the foundation of that Greek, of Greek culture. The Bible was simply put on as part of the mixture of truth. It's not that the church of philosophy has thrown the Bible out. It's just to become a mixture of the rest of the truth. It's admixture or mixing of these views. Paul had been had to confront the mixing of the truth the scripture was taken out here. I used the illustration uh, last week at least four that one of the areas, one of the religions today that does that a lot, not so much in America, but in Above all of this, 
other religions. And so Paul is making sure they understand. We just read there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, beware, beware. He warns them, lest any man spoil you. That word spoil there means rob. Let any man rob you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after God. Be careful with these jokers that mix in this philosophy. Be careful with these uh, these Judaizers and these Gnostics who put in vain deceit and tradition of men above, above Christ, above the Bible, above the truth of the Bible. Paul warns them of these spoils, these losses. He uh, encourages them not to be deceived because what they have in Christ is far greater than what these other philosophers have in Christ. In other words, he, he, he shows them and encourages them and reaffirms to them the present-day benefits of Christ. In other words, what they have in Christ isn't that what Ephesians does too? I mean, Ephesians does that. Ephesians, Paul takes the first Christian chapter and reminds them of what they are in Christ and the benefits they have because they are in Christ. Eternality. Or heirs of, uh, heirs of Jesus Christ and on and on and on. And so here, uh, this is also why you see in some of the other church material, if you ever see some church material on this, uh, he calls it treasure hunting Christianity. Because you have in verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then you, you take that with verse 8, that lest you may spoil your robbery. And so we have treasure coming to Christianity. And we have treasures in the Bible. The treasure, of course, is Christ. The treasure is Christ. We need to be careful that these, that these uh, robbers don't come in and spoil uh, what the Bible gives us an understanding of who Christ is and what we have in As we said, these deceivers are one of those that Gnosticism, and we'll give you a chart on this probably next week uh, that gives detail about the Gnostics believe. But the Gnostics threatened the early churches, not just the church of Gnostics, but other churches as well. The Gnostics were, were, Gnostics believe were rooted in mysticism. Uh, they were rooted in Eastern mysticism. And they uh, also were part of this Greek philosophy, kind of a mixture of these things. They believe that certain people have more life than other people. And by that they mean there was mystical, mystical uh, life that was given to certain individuals. You think about gurus and things like that, seemingly have more life than others. They didn't kind of, that, that's what comes to my mind, that they believe that. They believe that mystically people were given more life than others. They believe that all material things were evil. That all material things were evil. Therefore, Jesus could not have had a real body. That, that Jesus was merely an apparition. He wasn't really, he didn't have a physical body because all physical things are evil. Not to believe that. And uh, that was being, that was being taught in some of the churches in that We know that Jesus Christ had a literal body. Uh, that he literally bodily died and he bodily rose again from the dead. That he on the cross, pay for our sins in a body, not not the operation of some kind of death. And then, of course, most of you are familiar with Judaism and the, the admixture of that because there, there are other books that where Paul addresses that. You think about the book of Galatians, where Paul addresses uh, 
the Judaism that had crept into the church relations, the church heritage relations, and even Hebrews covering, covering some of that same substance. So, but here in Colossae also, there was an element of Judaism that was being taught in the church, uh, the church of that way. And, and so Judaism is holding Old Testament rituals to New Testament Christians. In other words, mixing the two, saying, okay, you're saved by, by believing that, the Lord, that Jesus Christ lived out in those again, but you also got to keep the dietary law. And you also got to keep uh, the, uh, the ceremonial law. So they just added to of salvation, this Judaism. In other words, in uh, Galatians, Paul is telling them, don't go back to those things. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the ritual. Paul is again encouraging them the same way in this In other words, Judaism holds on to those things that are too Christian things instead of holding on to them. And you've heard the illustration So Judaism again is holding on to those things that that pre pictures them. Those shadows the Bible speaks about, those shadows of things. So think about this, I hadn't thought about this. In seven twenty two BC, the, the northern kingdom is carried into captivity by the Syrians. The final deportation of the southern kingdom is in five eighty sixty two by the Babylonians. So think about this, from the time of the captivity in seven twenty two and in five eighty six, this is seven twenty two, until the time of Christ's birth. Let's say it's 700 years. In those 700 years, a lot transpired. A lot transpired. We have the 400 silent years in the Old and New Testament. But what happened was, the children of Israel, what resulted from that, was a modified Old Testament system. So, when David was around, King David, when Solomon was around, he, he had priests and things, and the system stayed similar or whatever to the scriptures. But as it progressed, and after the captivity, it began to be modified. In other words, the priests began to modify the Old Testament system. They began to add to it. So much so, they came up with this big old book that had a bunch of extra rules. Right? I mean, I mean I'm telling you, when Jesus came on the scene, when his disciples came on the scene, you know, there was a lot of extra rules that weren't really in the, uh, the Old Testament system. You realize in the Old Testament, before... In the Old Testament, the Passover, the Passover, which was established in Exodus chapter, chapter 12, the Passover was supposed to be an eternal, um, an eternal, uh, an eternal event. In other words, they were supposed to observe the Passover every year. Remember that in the Old Testament, they only observed it six times throughout the entire Old Testament. Throughout the entire Old Testament. But here's what happened: at the end of the at the end of the Old Testament, and even after 722 BC, the children of Israel recognized there was an issue. And especially if you come into the New Testament, they recognized there was an issue. And what they did is they began to keep the law again. 
not just teachers, but I'm talking about teachers. And they did so to try to gain God's favor. They were now in captivity, they were under, they were now under Rome. They wanted to be delivered from Roman oppression. And so, so they thought, well, we want to be delivered from Roman oppression and you know, 300 A.D., I'm 300 B.C., 200 B.C., 100 B.C., keep following If we want to get delivered from Rome, then we need to get back to, to, to God. We need to get back to, to sacrifice. We need to get back to worship Him. And so they really, really intensified that. And, and then you have the Pharisees come, the Sadducees have all these religious sects that come in and get involved. And, and by the time Christ gets there, the Old Testament system had been modified almost to the point in crazy. They no longer were looking for the Messiah who would come and take away their sins. They were looking for the Messiah who would come and deliver them from Rome. They were looking for a champion. They were looking for they were looking for Hercules. They were looking for someone who would take and deliver them from the oppression that they were under. No longer looking for the sacrifice. They've been taught. This is a free taught that the that the Messiah would one time one day would come and be would die and be buried. At least they would teach that because the, that's what the sacrifices pre pictures. The lamb pre pictures that. One day a Messiah is going to come. If you were in the tabernacle when it was built uh, by Moses and them, you would have been taught that one day a Messiah will come. Here is what it's is going to be like. He's going to be like a lamb who will be sacrificed, who will die, be buried, and rise again for us. That's what the temple was all about. Everything in the temple was about Christ. And it was about the gospel. They were taught the gospel. The priest's job was to teach them the gospel. If you were in the Old Testament, you had children, you'd bring your children to the temple, and the priest would teach them about the Messiah. He would come and deliver them, not from Rome, but deliver them from their sins. What does the scapegoat mean? They were taught what the scapegoat means. What does the sacrifice of the dove mean? They were taught what that meant. That's what the priest's job was. And so in this time between... 400 B.C. and the time of Christ's arrival, the Jews got back to doing these Old Testament rituals, but they lost the meaning. Or they rejected the meaning. There were a remnant there. Who was the remnant? Mary, Joseph, Zechariah. There were there was those who were still looking for a Messiah who would come. How about the first Messiah? Because they were John. Because John, are you him? Are you the light? John said, I'm not the light. God is supposed to be a record of it. Boy, they had used so modified the truth. You all heard the illustration in the New Orleans Christian. They got so wrapped up in the rapid, the gift of the rapid, the rapid, the rapid, and she got about the gift. She got enamored with the bowl and with the wrapping paper and even the box. Paul is again reaffirming that Christianity is Christ. And being careful that this modified Old Testament system didn't influence the churches and understanding that, that Christ and the church and that the church should be Christ centered. Christ centered. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is Christ centered. This Bible is about Christ. Paul in Colossians is simply reaffirming the premise of Christ. 
that Christ excels above all others, all other persons and all other beliefs. Do you believe that? Christ excels above all other persons and all other beliefs. You believe there's no comparison. Paul emphasizes that real life. See, the philosophers, look at uh, Colossians again, look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in effect, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all wishes of the full assurance and understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. Notice the way he phrases this. The acknowledgement of the mystery of God and the Father and Christ. I mentioned last week that the philosophers and these, these Gnostics use words like mystery, they use words like wisdom and knowledge and so forth. So Paul, in this book, uses the same, these same words over and over again in order to clarify and instruct them that, that Christ that Christ is the life, that Christ is the treasure, that Christ is the wisdom. Look at verse 3. In Him, in whom is hid, who? Christ. Christ. In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's saying to them, wisdom doesn't come from, you know, human reasoning. Wisdom doesn't come from human wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom doesn't come from, uh, knowledge doesn't come from this. Knowledge comes from Christ. This is unknown now. Verse 4. And this I say that you need to beguile you with enticing words. Paul emphasizes that real life and knowledge and wisdom are in Jesus Christ. He expresses that Christianity is Christ. That he is our example of how we should act and react. Christ is our example of how we should act. Christ is our example of how we should react. Jesus Christ is also the power and dynamic to affect us. In other words, if Christ is our example and he is our example of how we ought to act, he is also the one who empowers us and gives us the grace that we need to walk and follow in his steps. He's not only the example, but he's the power to give us to follow his example. Paul emphasizes this to be the blessing of being in Christ, the blessings of being Christ in you. Now, here it is. This is the difference between Ephesians and Colossians. Ephesians, Paul stresses uh, about us being in Christ, that we are in Him, that we are in Him, and that positionally we are in Him. Do you understand that? That we are positionally in Christ. Because we, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are placed in Him. Therefore, before God, before God, we are positionally Justification is just as if I've never sinned, yes. It also means that Christ's sinless record was put in my account. And my sinful record was erased. Because I am in Christ. I positionally am in Christ. My standing is in Christ. One day when I get to heaven, God's not going to say, Eric, this is what you did wrong, and this is all the things you did wrong. This is what no, 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 no. I'm going to stand before God in Christ. The only record he sees is, not, is Christ, not my record. I'm not going to give account for my sins when I get to heaven. They, they've been forgiven because they've been placed so Ephesians stresses that. Ephesians, Paul stresses that we are in Christ. In Colossians, he stresses that Christ is in you. Listen, when I got saved, Christ now dwells in me. He now, he now abides in me. He says, abide in me, and I in you. He abides in me, enabling me, strengthening me to follow in his steps. Again, Christianity is Christ. Paul is the one thing, Philippians 3.13, our thing, is to know Him. It's to set our affections on things above and seek Him. To know Him more. Christianity is Christ. It's not just His life. 
that we are to study, but it's who he is that we are to study as well. We all, we all like to talk about his healing, healing the sick, and all these things we do. But who is he? I know most of you, I'm taking the part now. He is the infinite, the true incarnate He is the eternal Son of God. He is God in the flesh. His pre-sickness of seeing the Old Testament, the land, the seed, the temple. His birth, his death, his life, his death, his resurrection. His ascension, his intercession. That's the God he's interceding for us today. His return, and then one day his reign. One day he'll reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This one thing, Paul Eagle Christ. This Christ. And that is so On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.